Welcome to The Forgettable Half Hour. I'm Jason Van Genderen and I'm joined by my co-carer and partner in life, Megan. Say hi, Megs. Hello. <laughs> so this podcast series is about having a wine and a whinge to decompress life as a dementia carer. Yes. And we're actually going to have a glass of wine, aren't we? We sure are. While we're doing this. And we're not saying you have to drink wine when you're listening to this. It might be a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or a good, just a nice chilled water. But we are cracking a wine because we've had a bit of a stressful day and we're going to decompress with a little glass of wine and a chat with you guys. Now, what are we drinking today, Mix? We're having a fat bastard from California. That's a bit of irony because we are actually living in a wine region here in Australia called the Hunter Valley. So I reckon we just start this with a bit of a cheers. Yeah, sure. So cheers to you. Let's go. There we go. Cheers to kicking off. Oh. Oh, that's, that's lovely. It's remarkably so full-bodied. We're also going to be recording this inside our house. Mm. So you're probably going to hear a dog barking in the background. A small child who's teething. Yeah. Waking up very soon. Any number of different things, a doorbell, whatever might happen, that's all going to add to the calamity. Um, we wanted this to sound like it was our real life because it is. So hopefully this feels like we're just an extension of your house and uh, we're just having a chat with you because that's what we wanted it to do. Um, now, Megs, we were really quite certain about not making this a clinical chat about yeah, dementia. Yeah, um, there's enough we, of that. There's plenty of that out there. There's some really, really good podcasts out there that, that offer that. We don't want to do that. We are not here to offer advice or to sell anything. And this is purely a sounding space to chat through what it's like being a carer for someone living with dementia and hopefully in that process also share some helpful ideas and stay positive because it is bloody hard sometimes yeah. to keep that positive energy going when, when things are up against you as a carer. But having a whinge in a, um, in a way that is enlightening, it's not a Debbie Downer kind of thing. It's yeah. a, you know, how can we do this better kind of whinge. That's it. So it's going to be therapeutic for you and I as well because we're going to be tackling a different topic every week and we're going to aim it towards something that we've experienced during that week. Yeah, which I'm and sure other carers would have experienced as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we want to bounce it out there and I think the more we talk about this, the better we're all going to feel. Today, Megs and I want to really chat about the importance of environment in the care of someone living, living with dementia. And I might actually throw to you, Megs, to have a, a bit of an explanation as to what our situation is uh, with our loved one that has dementia and what our, our living yeah, situation yeah, is for our audience. Thanks, Jay. So obviously it's your mother, your 88-year-old beautiful mother who is a little duchy. Um, she lives, she's lived with us for four years this week, actually. Mm. We moved in four years ago this week. That's amazing. Yeah. Cheers to that. Um, yeah, she's lived with us for four years. She has her own little self-contained granny flat that is attached to our house, so she still has access to our, our house and she has her own access outside as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she's got a kitchen and a balcony and a beautiful vista from where she is. So she's very comfortable. Um, she doesn't always remember that we're here. Um, Sorry, just going to throw in, that's a dishwasher saying cycle finished for those who can hear that beeping. Anyone would like to <laughs> unpack it now. Yeah, and her her surroundings are obviously very important to her. She mm. feels very comfortable in her home. She feels very comfortable in our home up to a limit, like yeah. she has a limit when she needs to head back to her house and she makes up all sorts of excuses like, oh, yeah, the telephone's going to ring or the cat needs me or, yeah, I better just check where my bag is or... 
Um, so yeah, she definitely has a level of anxiety inside our, our home as well, but um, for the most part, she's very comfortable in our home. And we've noticed even when we have services, uh, clinical services that come to our home, um, such as a nurse or a geriatrician, there's a very different response and a very different demeanour in Omar um, than when she's in a doctor's surgery or a geriatrics office or yeah, in definitely. the hospital, uh, which brings us to a, a, a really big episode Omar had to go through this week where she had to um, head, a, head in an ambulance mm. and be transferred to hospital. It wasn't an emergency, but it was necessary. Um, and she had to head into triage and ED um, and the whole experience was really distressing for her because she was completely outside of her own um, environment and at the beginning stages she only had me. Thankfully she even had me because yeah. I know with COVID and obviously with um, triage you really shouldn't have visitors um, and then it was a... Um, uh, a tit for tat with you and me just relieving each other and um, making sure that she was always surrounded by one of us. Yeah, let's refer to her by name as well. So we call her Omar. Yes, affectionately. Um, for, for, for those of you that have not met her yet, um, we have created a video series as well, which um, if you are keen to check it out, if you look up Omar's Applesauce on Facebook, um, you'll find a whole raft of videos and little stories that we've created there with uh, my mum. So Omar is Dutch for grandmother. Um, I guess our dynamic too, just so our audience is aware, is we have a busy little house here in the central coast of New South Wales, Australia. Um, we have two very young children. We've got an almost two-year-old uh, daughter, a six-year-old son, um, and I also have a 15-year-old son and a 19-year-old daughter, about to be 20-year-old daughter, I think, this year. Um, so we, ha we have a reasonably uh, busy <laughs> existence and a yappy dog it has been very very good so far I might add so yeah that that is all part of our I guess environmental context as well we've got a, 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 a family um, the house is relatively busy but definitely the the environment we're in has a big part to play and even if I think about myself you know I think environment's really important to me even though I think I'm you know kind of reasonably carefree and, and flexible, you know, I, if I go down to my local cafe, I usually err towards sitting in one of three probably places of the cafe. I like to sit in a familiar seat. Um, you know, when I drive somewhere, I'll drive a familiar way. I'll drive a way that I know how to get somewhere, you know. So I think those kind of environmental routines are really, really important to all of us, not just people living with a, mm. a cognitive um, decline. But for Omar, obviously, it's, it's a lot harder for her to understand what's going on when her environment changes dramatically and and that event that put her into hospital earlier this week caused a real flip about and was a big learning experience it just for really us. highlighted how just how important that environment for her is um but it was unavoidable because as in the we we couldn't leave the environment that we we're in in mm. the hospital because her the reason that she went in was actually quite serious um, so she, long story short, she hadn't chewed her food well enough on the Sunday evening and on the Monday morning um, when I took her to our routine coffee, she was vomiting. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't work out why. She couldn't work out why. So, yeah. And then she sort of came out and said, oh, no, I've been vomiting since last night. Like, and the dementia was holding that information back from me. 
Um, so, yeah, we didn't take any chances. We just went straight to the hospital. But um, And then, then that was quite a long, laborious um, uh, mission to understand what was causing the vomiting, the tests that she had to undergo um, and all the rest of it, like the lights and mm. the changing of clothes and um, needles and um, people talking with masks on and um, her not being able to hear them and lip read and understand them and just awfully confusing. And when we see her stress, that doesn't always bring out the best in us either because then we become defensive of yeah. her and her needs. Yeah. Um, and in a first aid environment, that's difficult as well. Everyone's yeah. got a job to do yeah, and we're, we're, we're absolutely not here to rubbish the first aid environment. Oh, absolutely. Um, those guys did an amazing, absolutely amazing job. Yeah. But there is a, a distinct difference between uh, in a hospital environment, particularly a first aider environment, there's a big difference between um, ticking the boxes and and treating a, a, a clinical from a clinical perspective, mm. and turning around and having the ability to, to look at the look at a more holistic approach to the situational context mm. of that person that presents with dementia, and how are they? How can I make their journey through these stressful hours or days a little bit easier? Yeah, but I but I think what's difficult when someone presents is when you have dementia and you present. Um, it, your disability is completely invisible. Yeah. Um, so you sort of just get, like, obviously she looks old and frail. So you definitely change the way you speak to her and, and care for her because she is older. But when she's cognitively completely impaired, that's not obvious yeah. straight away. Um, and, and it's probably that invisibility or that silence in dementia that is really difficult and, and uh I'm trying not to think too much about the other eight ambulances you saw come in after your ambulance mm. with Omar, mm. um, where there was in each one there was a, another um, elder being delivered to ED who was alone yeah, and no one with them. And it's not saying they or any of them had any dementia, but it was an yeah. extremely sad thing to yeah, see, but a reality of the world we live in now yeah. too. You know, there were a few things that we discussed as I was getting ready to wait for the ambulance. Like you were like, make sure you grab the cat and... Um, so oh, we've got this, they've got a battery-operated cat, just yeah, to clarify. We've got a, we've got a, a Hasbro companion cat that mm. has sensors all over it and um, it interacts with you based on where you touch it and, it's, and it meows and it purrs and it moves. Like it's amazing. It's very lifelike. Um, and we, we bought it not long ago to help us when we um, preempting that if we were to go to other people people's places over the Christmas period that we would... Change of environment. Change, yeah, yeah, because yeah, we still wanted to be able to in, to enjoy ourselves over the Christmas period and see family and yeah. things like that. Um, so we thought maybe taking a companion cat might um, calm her and we could still all leave the house as a family because we were reluctant to leave her on her own for an extended period of time because, again, that change of environment of us leaving and her not having her safety net of us being there can be distressing as well. So that that object, that cat, because um, as a cat person, yes. um, that cat, it was a bit of a safety blanket. And for, yeah. for some of you out there, you, you might have, uh, you know, a, a fiddle blanket or a sleeve or something or, or other or a, a blanket or a doll. Of, a lot of women yeah. with dementia really like doll. I, I did take the doll in, the, in my backpack mm-hmm. as well just in case the Everyone got a bit sick of the cat, or yeah, she got bigger, yeah. a bit sick of the cat. But she, she, that cat 
really calmed her down in a lot of instances. And a lot of the time she was having her blood pressure taken, like her orbs were taken all the time. and she Or had needles being stuck in her arm. Annulars, injections, yeah. and um, you could just distract her like a toddler. You could mm. distract her quite easily by saying, oh, she's turning over or she's going to sleep. Or, yeah. um, and it actually was a good distraction for us as well because when you're sitting for hours together in a room or a booth, like a cubicle waiting on a bed, having the distraction of a toy like a cat like that is good for us as well. We get to, I was stroking it and, yes. you know, it was when <laughs> you can't speak about something, it's nice to have something else you can both yeah. join in as an activity. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, f- from our perspective, we realise the importance of, of having things like that in our toolkit other than just having a first aid bag with things to patch her up. Yeah. Um, it's important to have things that we can take with us that are uh, safe tools from home. Yeah, and from experience previously in hospitals, like we know ED can be a very long wait. Yeah. You know, and, it, yeah, we, we, we know from experience it's already very disorientating for her. And, and I guess with this particular episode, because she is getting further along in her dementia as well, mm-hmm. we, we were heightened in our anxiety because we knew the longer that she was outside our familiar environment, that we felt like there would be a disintegration, a disintegration in her cognition when we got home, like definitely. in her disease when we got home. We've yeah. definitely found that as we've got home, there's been some things that are a little bit different about her. Um, and that degradation happens every time she's taken out of her environment. Always. You, you can bank on it. That's always going to happen. There's a landslide that occurs after, which is, it's horrible knowing, like, like we knew she had to go to hospital because there an old person cannot vomit, like you, you, the risk of dehydration and, you know, God forbid the effects of that, like there was no way that we could have kept her home. No. So for us that was already such a an awful just we knew what was going to happen but we mm. knew that we had to go to hospital, you know. Often with, with safe environments it's as much a connection to people as what it is to place. Yeah. I guess the other kind of environment we have externally from the house is the familiar environments that would be part of her weekly routine or daily routine, like travelling down to the local cafe. Mm, having um, a coffee. Having a coffee. So for her, that cafe is a safe place. It's a safe environment and she knows the faces there. She doesn't know the names, but it feels She recognises, yeah. yeah. And the local shopping village where she does her weekly shopping is also another safe yeah. space. And there are people there that recognise her in Coles and, and things like that as well. Yeah, which is lovely. Um, and then we've got... I guess, unsafe external spaces, which would be places that she only visits very infrequently, such as Touchwood, hospitals, Mm. uh, medical appointments, Mm. consulting rooms. Um, In fact, I wouldn't mind bringing up, um, uh, we've got a fantastic uh, geriatrician that's looking after Omar and we catch up with her every three months or so Mm. to assess uh, Omar's state with her Alzheimer's and vascular dementia. And uh, we noticed when we did... Uh, the what is that particular test called? There's a name for it. The the dementia. You'll all be familiar with the, the dementia the scale, scale test, the PAS scale, whatever it's called. Um, when, when we did that test in uh, the geriatrician's office, we had a particular result. Mm. When we repeated that test three months later in the home environment, on that lounge. Here, yeah, on that lounge, we had quite drinking. a significantly different result. And we were drinking coffee on that lounge and I think Evie was here. Yeah. So she had her grand, her little baby granddaughter. So she was in a familiar space, yeah. safe environment. She had faces around her. She knew, plus a geriatrician mm-hmm. sitting there. 
but her responses to that test were quite vastly different yeah, to three months hugely. earlier in a in an unsafe environment for her. So in a hugely improved way. Yeah. She had responses that we were like, you, you've never answered those correctly because they've always been asked in a clinician context. Mm. So always. I think in that sense, understanding how comfortable she felt sharing information or, or providing um, memories that she could reflect on in a safe environment was quite different. And the confidence. She yeah. Just had, she had confidence. And that would even apply in a first aid environment. And I think it's a worthwhile point to make that if you if your loved one uh, is going to need to have um, treatment external from your, your home environment or a familiar safe environment that they know, it's really important to gather as much detail about how they're feeling or uh, what's going on in their safe environment before you leave the house or before you leave the home to um, to a, a clinical facility because the way they respond to those clinical questions in a care facility, in a hospital, in a first aid environment is very different to the way that they'll talk about it at home. Mm. And then, of course, the, the other type of environment we have is, is like a transient environment, I guess, which is how do we move her around? And, and for us, it's usually in one of two cars. Yeah. We always seat her in the same seat in those cars. We don't move her around in a different position. Why positions. don't we move her around, Jess? Well, you know... <laughs> Mainly because we have a lot of kids. Uh, There's a lot no, of car seats just, in our she cars. She always but, thinks she can sit in a car seat. Yeah, she always thinks she can move around. But we prefer to keep her in the same, um, the same seat, the front passenger seat in our cars. So that's again part of her routine is understanding mm-hmm. when she goes in a car that that feels familiar to her and yeah. that's a safe spot. Yeah. What else? Um, what, what else do you think from an environmental context? What have we learnt? Uh, we're now back home again, thank God. We're, we're back home. Alma's doing really, really well. Yeah, She's she recovered is. from her, her surgical procedure she had to have um, and uh, we've had to make a few changes mm. to routine to make that all work. But we are seeing um, we, we, we are seeing some familiar things come back in her, which is yeah. lovely now yeah. she's back home. You know, we've taken her to friends' places and to my mum and dad's and things like that and whilst there's lots of familiar faces and... Um, we have hugely supportive and beautiful family that make time for her wherever yeah, we take her. Absolutely. Um, you know, and make sure that they sit next to her and they all understand um, her hearing and cognition and um, frailty and all that. So we're very blessed. But we still find that she has a, um, a ceiling. Like she, after a couple of, you know, maybe two hours, she's like, okay, when yeah, are we She needs to be back, back in her safe off? space. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't think she's... Yeah, she's just confused as to, and you can see it in her eyes, she's yeah. just confused. It's a sensory she, overload. She's not yeah. quite sure what the conversation is that she's trying to follow or the conversations. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. new faces that she can't relate to sometimes, even though there might be people she's seen yeah. last week. And so we have this, you know, this obviously this battle of, well, we'd like to stay for longer than an mm. hour and a half, but, um, you know, at, at this house, but... Um, we don't particularly want to leave Omar on her own for too long because we know that stresses her out. But then if we bring her, that stresses her out and then we're stressed out because we can't stay for as long as we'd love to stay. But, you know, we, I don't know, we just end up making it work most of the time. Yeah, pick you find choose. a way, as you guys yeah. would all know in your own experiences too, you, you find a way to make that work. Yeah, mm. yeah. Definitely. So so let's, um, let's talk about some positive things that we've learnt from this and things that have been of benefit to us because... Um, for us, it was a reasonably scary week. Yeah. Um, but as we introduced at the head of this podcast, we want this to be a um, a, a discussion of hope and something that brings us reflection. to a better place in reflection. Yeah. So. Well, I, I think um, having the both of us as her safe people is 
hugely helpful for us um, to be able to deal with it, you know. And I think, can I just say too, helpful for one another. Like, I really needed you in yeah, you moments didn't, where... You didn't want to let me go on Monday. No, I know. I needed you desperately because I was, I guess I was confronted with um, you know, a side of Omer's dementia that I hadn't seen yet. It was exacerbated by her her environment. She entered a state of delirium. Uh, that was very stressful to watch for a couple of minutes, let alone, you know, an hour or two. So um, I think making sure... Uh, to give yourself the best possible chance to handle those environments, well, let's have a backup person for you. So someone that you can you rely need, on, a friend, support. a contact, a neighbour, um, someone in your family that is your second that you can relieve with. That's really, really important. Give yourself that that mental health break you need yeah. to be able to be your best as well. Yeah. And I think work out, um, like like we had the companion animal, like work out distractions and uh, like a bit of ammunition to be able to um, help someone feel, help your loved one feel at ease or distract them from yeah. what's going on. Whether it, like it might be an iPad and you're watching a, a movie or playing a game. But something, something that they, they use day to day. So something, something that's use. in their environment yeah, or they look at that, that's familiar from home that makes mm. that place maybe feel just a little bit yeah. safer and yeah. a little bit more like home because it's there and it's on the bed. Yeah, or even like a blanket that they yep. usually have or, or something. And, again, it's a lot like a child with a teddy bear yep. or, you know, like I think the biggest one is as the carer is just having that support person and and um, not feeling like you're completely alone or lost or, yeah, definitely, yeah, because then you're a better support for that for that cared person. And I think probably the, the other tip I want to throw in too is actively look for someone that can be safety within that unfamiliar environment. So um, in that hospital context, in the hospital ward, like befriend a nurse, befriend a um, nursing unit manager or someone that's in that staff that's going to help you mm-hmm. go into bat for you yeah. and your loved one. Yeah. So, so just trying to just make sure you keep your options open, you have people that you can lean on mm-hmm. to help you get there is really important. You yeah. can't do this alone. Um, it's not up to the, the clinical staff to do this on their own either. They need you to work with yeah. them to get to the end result. Yeah. I know we're running out of time, but it's. I think it's, um, and maybe there's people in our same situation where it's a husband and wife, like this is your mum. So like I love your mum obviously, but I, I don't have that attachment that you do. Like yeah. you're her son, you know, and so I feel like, Sometimes I can be a little bit calmer just because, yeah. like, like I can imagine if it was my my own child, I would be mm. a lot more emotional than yeah. I am with with Omar. So um, I think that's how we we work quite well. And I think we've said this before. Like you're quite in the moment, and I get very pragmatic and systematic, mm. and I think about the future. So we kind of work quite well in that regard. But I, yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there that our relationships to Omar are different. So that does help the situation as well. Absolutely. In fact, I might actually just throw in here a little quick grab from a video that I recorded in uh, the hospital ward when you and I were talking about uh, a routine of what was going to happen next to give you a great example of where I sit (laughs) and where you sit in the organisational thing. And this is, again, we were having a little stressful moment, but I'm going to leave this a bit of a light-hearted relief before we wrap this up. There's a lot of bodies. There's a lot of bodies. But let's, let's just play a little bit of audio from this clip. This was us at a relatively stressful moment inside the ward. Omar was in recovery. We were waiting for her to come back and we were just trying to work out what to do next. Have a listen to this. (laughs) 
home, we're just gonna, one of us is going to yes. turn me around yeah. for the, yeah. until she goes to bed. Like, yeah. it'd be great if she could have a sleeping pill or something so she goes to bed or, I don't know. She slept all right here last night. Yeah, I was going to go to bed and not shuffle around. And I'm going to get up in the middle of the night. Like, I, maybe you should almost sleep on the floor in there. So I don't want her to get up in the middle of the night and stuff. Yeah, well, I just, uh, that's, that's too much right now. I just want to think of the next, no, it, what's for me? I just want to, I just got to think through the next hour. I can't think, I don't want to go too far beyond Yeah, I know, but this is when I'm like. I know, but you you're ticking to... the boxes. I'm just trying to get through the next block of drama. Mm. So. I know, but you said you wanted to keep Artie as normal She well. should be coming out now. So I should get a call to get to recovery. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great example to show you how we actually just do work together in this. Yeah. And it's great to have someone that's got your back. So thanks, Max. Uh, we did a good job. We did good. We did good. Megs, I think that's probably going to be us for our first episode. Uh, yeah, cheers to you. Let's a uh, final toast. I'm actually almost running out of my glass of wine here, but we have completed our very first episode of the forgettable half hour. Hopefully it wasn't terribly forgettable for you listening. Um, but it's time for us to get this one out and see what you guys think. So let us know. Don't forget, of course, to follow our story on Facebook. If you look up Omar's Applesauce, you'll see all of our little stories and videos on there. We'd love to see you there and support our journey too. And make sure you send us a message if you've got any topics or questions that you'd like to suggest for this particular podcast series yeah, that we're now thanks. doing, because we would love to hear from you. Uh, you've been listening to Megan Van Genderen and myself, Jason Van Genderen. Until next episode, remember it's really super important to be kind for your cared one, but also be kind to yourself as well. You are not alone. We hear you when we see you, and we want to thank you for listening to The Forgettable Half Hour.